everyone. My name is Emily. I'm a media team member for the session. And today I'm joined by three lovely chairs who are going to talk us through their topics, which is very exciting. But before we get into that, I just want everyone to introduce themselves with their name, their pronouns and a little fun fact. So my name's Emily. My pronouns are she, her. And my fun fact is that I am from Scotland. I, I feel like that's pretty fun. <laughs> pretty fresh. Um, Nina, go for it. So my name is Nina. I'm going to be the chair of NV2. And my pronouns are she, her. I'm from the Netherlands. And a fun fact is that it is currently storming in Amsterdam and uh, public transport is completely <laughs> a mess right now. So love that for us. Not good. That's not a fun fact. That's, no. a, that's, a, that's a bad fact. <laughs> Corvinian? Hi, hi. Uh, I'm Corbinian. You can call me Corby or Beanie if it's easier for you because it's a long German name. And I'll be the chair for Inter. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And a fun fact, I think uh, I, a fun fact would be that I always wear a hat. So when you see me at the session, I normally always wear a hat. So yeah. So how are you doing, Yeso? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you very much. My name is Yeso. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And a fun fact about me is that I can say the alphabet backwards. That's pretty cool. Do you want to prove it? Yes. Okay. Go on. Okay. Z Y X V W U R. Okay, no, I don't think that's right. I couldn't think of a third fun fact. <laughs> I was like in a hurry. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, let's go back to Nina to begin with the questions. So these questions should just give you a very brief overview of the topic, which will be useful for the session and for things like General Assembly. So NV2 all about biodiversity. Do you believe, Nina, that biodiversity is one of the major challenges facing Europe today? And if so, why? Yeah, I think that major challenges in general is a very broad term because like right now there's a war in Europe, so that might be a bit more of a major challenge. Uh, but I think in the long run, bio biodiversity is very important, especially because of how closely related it is to climate change. Uh, biodiversity loss is one of the major factors of climate change uh, currently. And also the protection of biodiversity in and of itself is one of the main pillars of climate protection right now by the EU. So it's very important uh, in my eyes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's very true. And like reading through the topic overview, some of the stats are really quite terrifying actually um so that leads me on to the next question what tell us about a specific example of biodiversity loss that particularly stuck with you when you were researching your topic yeah so right now as you said the numbers and statistics can be quite scary to look at mm. um for instance right now in germany 75 percent of flying insects in protected areas have gone extinct basically or have lessened um which is a, a terrifying number, to be fair. Yeah. In other countries, it's even worse. For instance, I think that 95% uh, of land insects in Puerto Rico, so that's not Europe, but an, another example, also uh, have been threatened by biodiversity loss. Um, and that very, it illustrates the problem, I would say, because mm -hmm. um, when we think about biodiversity loss, we might think about extinction of lions or like these big land animals that we find impressive and that we wouldn't want to go extinct. Um, but especially smaller insects, bacteria, mosses, um, etc., those are really crucial to 
protecting our nature, basically, um, and to making sure that our eco ecosystems function the way that they're supposed to function. Yeah, I think you're right. Like the range of species that are going extinct, or like it's very important to note. Um, and as kind of bleak as your topic overview was, there was also some positive things. So what is the European Green Deal and why is it relevant? Yeah, so the European Green Deal um, is basically the main policy approach of the EU in tackling climate change. This is based on the Paris Agreement that was made in 2015 by basically the entire UN. And the European Green Deal is specifically the European approach to climate change. And that has been made into le uh, legislation by the European Climate Law. Um, which has now been proposed and also actually implemented. So that's nice. Um, and more specific to my topic, uh, biodiversity, um, we have the biodiversity strategy for 2030, um, which is based on the European Green Deal as well. Um, because the European Green Deal is basically this large goal of um, becoming cli a climate neutral continent in 2050. Currently, that is not really the policy is there, although the policy can also be debated. Um, a lot of climate activists think that it's not progressive enough, especially in terms of sustainable agriculture. Um, but the policy is there. What mostly lacks is the implementation right now um, and kind of the uh, what's actually happening in the member states to protect biodiversity and to tackle climate change. Yeah, I think you've actually answered my next question, which is, where do you see policy for climate change going in the next few years? So do you just see it um, kind of, do you see the implementation going well? Like you said that that was the issue. Do you see that going well and changing? Um, I think that that's a very difficult problem right now in the EU, because, of course, the EU only has that many competences, especially... Mm -hmm. Um, surrounding climate change. It is a shared competence, so that means that both the member states um, and the EU have uh, legal competence um, in making policy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it very much depends also on the route that the EU takes, because right now, for instance, the EU also wants to support farmers, um, like no matter if they do sustainable agriculture or not. Um, mm -hmm. So that has led to some criticism from major climate activists who are like, yeah, but if you're not going to tackle this, then you're not going to reach your goal of climate neutrality, mm -hmm. which in itself is a debatable goal because like um, net zero, as it is also mentioned in my topic overview, is not really zero. It's yeah. just offsetting um, carbon emissions, basically. So it very much depends on the route that the EU takes and also how much the member states want to do in order to actually implement progressive climate goals. Yeah, and I think your delegation will have a really interesting time um, during committee work and also during General Assembly. So thank you very much for telling us all about NV2. Um, we're going to go straight on to Corvinian, who is chair of INTA. And INTA is all about child labour. And this is one of the topics that when I was looking over all of them, I was like, wow, okay, this is going to get spicy. <laughs> so um, a lot of people, Corvinian, might think that child labour no longer exists and it's a thing of the past. Um, what would you say to these people about the relevance of your topic? 
<clears throat> so yeah, I see why this question arises. Like, why is it a thing still in present times, and why isn't it a thing of the past? Because when you look into Germany, in Germany, it's already prohibited for the uses or usage of child labor since 1960 and on eu level the same followed in 1994 so in germany or in whole of europe it's not allowed to use child labor and to protect children at work if they have to actually it's not a thing in europe that's happening right now but when you look on the global level on a global level it's worse it's horrible uh, so 160 million children uh, last year were forced or were inv involved into child labor. 160 million, that's a big number. And I, and as well as in the topic overview, I mentioned something. When you are not sure whether your laptop or your T-shirt or your phone is not produced by child labor, you can say, okay, fair trade, I'm happy. But when you don't know where it's coming from, it can be pretty obvious that it's being produced by child like by child labor and why is my t-shirt so cheap when i buy it in the shop um, and where does it come from so it is pretty obvious on the global level that there's a lot going wrong and we have to do something on the eu level yeah i i think it's very important because your topic links very nicely with things like fast 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 fashion which yeah. for young people is very relevant because a lot of us can't afford other clothes um totally so yeah i think it's super interesting super relevant um so this is kind of like a question that i asked nina what is one key statistic about child labor that really shocked you yeah so as i mentioned already with 160 million children that's already a huge number but when you go a bit further into detail this number actually stagnated since 2016 so for six years i think we already know that so many children are involved into child labor and when you compare it with the whole of the eu we have 512 million eu citizens so it's so it's more than a fifth of the whole eu population if you want to compare it that would be involved into child labor this is just crazy and on also the worldwide stage it's one out of 10 children that are involved into child labor so this is a number that is quite shocking. Yeah, that's really quite terrifying. Um, so in terms of terrifying stats, what have the EU and specific member states done to address this, um, done to address child labour and exploitation? And do you think that these measures have done enough? Mm. So there are different initiatives being taken to um act against child labor and um however <laughs> those were not really um they didn't really work so the eu parliament for example they tried to push for a legislation already a couple of times but nothing really happened because the commission said oh it's too difficult i don't know um so there there were initiatives but currently on eu level there is no binding measure so there's nothing really happening right now however as you mentioned there were already some member states trying to act against this and um, for example 2017 uh, the french parliament passed a law prohibiting um, child labor and also 2019 the the netherlands also um, act against this um, and trying to um, find out whether in the supply chain there is a violation of human rights and the usage of child labor and also interesting if there is something that goes wrong Everyone, also a worker in Southeast Asia, can sue the company that produced the T-shirt or produced the phone and didn't provide a safe working environment. So there are member states that 
going against this, but of course, if there's a t-shirt in the shop that costs 20 euro, and then there's a t-shirt in Germany costing five euro in the whole single market, of course, people are going to go for the cheaper one. So there has to be something on the EU level. So everybody has the same advantage, not, not the same, not, no disadvantage. So that's the way. Um, so there's there has to be more and the EU parliament tries or the commission also tries to push for it but currently there is nothing really happening so hopefully that will be soon <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that's why doing a topic like this at a regional session is so important um, for awareness but also for new ideas that could potentially be implemented in the EU um, so from one important topic to the other um, tram is all about rural mobility and transport so yeah so um what do you think that transport mobility for those in rural uh why do you think the transport mobility for those pe people in rural areas is so important uh, i think <clears throat> transport uh, for people living in rural areas is so important because lots of opportunities and lots of services they um tend to be clustered in urban areas i think Maybe if you're someone who grows up in an urban area, you don't necessarily notice this, but the good jobs, um, good services. So there may be jobs in urban areas, this goes without saying, but uh, well-paid jobs, um, well-paid good services, social activities, uh, they sort of tend to like have a center in urban areas. And uh, it's good to at least have the opportunity to decide, do I want to? Um, rather than, you know, and then decide not to, you know, take advantage of those opportunities or jobs than to not have the option in the first place. And this is where uh, mobility comes in place. Um, having a way, a means to move from a rural area to a uh, urban area is, is so essential because this enables like a uh, connection between these two areas. Um, and that's why I think uh, residents living in, in, rural areas really need this opportunity. The consequence of, of lack of mobility, therefore, is uh, seclusion from uh, maybe earning more money, um, uh, attending social activities and uh, uh, accessing certain services, like, I don't know, good hospitals, for example. Um, and uh, that would lead to, and this is also a statistic that we found that um, urban and rural areas have differences in uh, economic um, value and, and the contributing factor may be a lack of mobility. Yeah, I think it's super important and it ties really nicely into the whole theme of the regional. And I think it's really important to highlight the disparity between urban dwellers and people who live in rural areas. Um, so have you had any personal experiences of rural transport or the lack thereof of rural transport um or do you know anyone who has well i've so i grew up in germany and uh, i've grew up in a city so while i was living in while i was growing up in munich i haven't had um experience with it directly but when i was traveling i was in a small town in in bulgaria and uh there was no public transport whatsoever. So we obviously had to rent a car to get to places, which was okay for us because 
we were there as travelers and it was a one-time thing. But uh, in the long term, you were really dependent on your car. So if you didn't have a car and the area we were at, it was very poor. So not everyone, it wasn't a given that people owned a car. So it was factually impossible to get anywhere. Yeah, and that real life example just kind of shows you the importance of rural transport. Um, So what current project is taking place in the EU to improve rural transport needs? And do you believe it is it's been successful and why? Um, I do think that the projects that exist EU wide have or are successful. There aren't a lot since uh, rural mobility, as we have found out, is a topic that seems to um, not like attract attention of policymakers, but there are a few, these being Smarta, for example, um, which is a project that analyzes like good policies and practices that are taking place on national level. Um, they name examples, for example, like the uh, Rezo Pause, which is like a French hitchhiking project. And they sort of analyze like good practices so other member states can take an example and take an inspiration and sort of implement it in their own country. And I think you need information hub because a lot of times people don't come to the come up with the up with the idea to implement something because they just don't know about it. And there's another project, for example, called uh, Mamba, which I think personally is very, very amazing because they don't just collect information. They have their own so-called pilot projects um, where they have their own like car sharing, carpooling um, services that they provide. And, uh, you know, when there's not like the infrastructure or the public transport in place in a certain area, um, as I think at least a temporary means, car sharing and carpooling and shared mobility in general is a very good like temporary uh, solution. So I, I think that's an amazing initiative. Yeah, I agree. I agree. How do you think transport in rural areas will improve in the coming years? Do you you think it will improve at all? To be honest, from what I've seen has been that has been implemented in the past, I'm not the most optimistic, which doesn't go without saying that I don't think there won't be any improvements in general for the future ever, but I I can imagine that they will be very, very slow. I think it'll start with uh, maybe carpooling um, initiatives on an EU level, uh, maybe subsidies, that sort of thing. But I think on the long-term, what will help is building infrastructure uh, that will allow public transport because that is more of a, like a, a stronger, like a more stable form of, of rural mobility. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you very much. So that is all from the chairs of MV2, Inta and Tran. We're really looking forward to the session. I think, as you can see, even amongst these three topics, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of range. Um, So I think committee work, I think General Assembly will be very interesting. Um, And I really hope you're looking forward to it. So we'll see you at the session. (laughs) 